My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Samia VC, I sat down with Derek Brooks, head of venture at Flatworld Partners. Derek has a wealth of international experience, including getting a Fulbright in Austria, working as a journalist for Reuters, working at the Treasury Department, and also for private equity at the Abrage Group, where he worked specifically on the private markets of emerging markets before joining Flatworld Partners. In this episode, we discussed how Flatworld Partners builds their fund of funds and what they look for in their first-time fund managers. His investment in Fazenda Futuro, a Brazilian-based company that develops plant-based substitutes for meat products, which produces for a fraction of the cost of Impossible or Beyond. And what Flatworld Partners looks for in a first-time fund manager. We discussed all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Derek, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Flatworld Partners? Great. Well, uh, nice to speak to you, Trip. Um, you know, my work history is pretty varied, and I think um, you'll see at least in um, impact investing in VC, that's not you know too uncommon. Um, you know, out of undergrad, I had an interest particularly in international relations um, and started my first job actually in Bosnia and Herzegovina with the OSCE, uh, which is a peacekeeping uh, mission there. And I think very similar to your um, kind of experiences, Trip, I found the work to be very interesting, but very much the pace and the kind of the rate of change and your personal kind of impact on work to be very slow. Um, and, you know, kind of my kind of first for way into international relations. I actually uh, had a Fulbright lined up um, immediately after that in Austria, actually from the Austrian um, American Education Commission. Um, you know, so continue kind of an international work, you know, teaching at two high schools in Austria over two years, um, worked as a journalist covering Eastern Europe, um, particularly looking at financial markets and insurance. But you know, that was all really to kind of continue to, you know, build like a bigger picture of the world. And, you know, I loved investigating. I loved the process of writing. Um, but, uh, you know, journalism also was not for me, um, you know, in that, in that meantime, ended up going to grad school for international relations and economic development, Johns Hopkins SICE. Um, and that's actually what really kind of spurred me on to thinking about private sector development in emerging markets. And looking at the way the private capital um, could both, you know, both increase the rate of innovation, also basically transfer technology and goods and services um, to a variety of countries and contexts, uh, but also really have a personal impact through, you know, you know, through working in finance, um, you know, where you can have much of our hands on. Um, so that actually led to, you know, really my first job in finance, which was with the Abraj Group. Um, Barrage at the time was the largest emerging markets private capital organization, 16 billion AUM based in Dubai. I was very happy to get this job. I, it was to me, it was really the perfect place to land end up really a emerging markets focused private investment manager based in emerging markets, right? So really not this whole idea of a fly-in, fly-out model, but really, you know, besides me and of course a handful full of other people, the you know, employees would reflect the markets that we invest in. So felt incredibly privileged. I had a very central role there, um, kind of on kind of the central strategy team um, in the CEO's office and really gave me a broad perspective um, on private equity, venture capital, and really some of the differences that you'd see in investing in Latin America, Asia, Africa, 
uh, Middle East than you would maybe in the US context. Um, story of a barrage, I think is uh, very public. Obviously that you know, ended and has its own lessons um, kind of in some of the pitfalls of emerging markets, um, you know, finance um, in terms of, you know, regulatory oversight and um, kind of other governance issues. But, uh, you know, one of my main takeaways there is really the importance of in any kind of new technology or set of changes, thinking about kind of the social and environmental determinants of what you do outside of creating value through investments. And kind of this focus on ESG and impact also um, kind of became core what I what I did. So, you know, after after a barrage, you know, I decided to refocus um, not just on emerging markets, but thinking about impact and sustainability in a greater, um, you know, greater context. So that brought me to Flat World where I am now today. Um, and, you know, Flat World Partners is a impact investing advisory firm. We do a couple of things, but one is advise LPs on investments into private equity funds, venture capital funds, private debt funds um, that have both commercial returns, but also measurable or clearly defined impact sustainability um, agendas and outcomes. Um, so we do that there here. I invest across private equity and venture capital as an LP. And on the platform as well, we continue to invest directly into companies, which is what I lead um, on the platform. And that can be across stages of venture capital, series C to series C, series C to series C. Um, and that's across emerging markets, developed markets, climate, health, and social inclusion. Um, so that really, that's kind of the basis um, of my work and my journey and career so far. Could you tell the audience a bit more about your investment in Brazil-based Fazenda Futuro? Yeah, so, um, right, you know, as an advisory firm, um, you know, we've developed different ways to become, you know, active um, in our investment advice. So one of our, um, one of our clients, um, right, is a Brazilian, actually multifamily office, which we um, work together to invest that fund to fund can also make direct investments. So within um, that context, um, our work um, with this Brazil vehicle has had a focus on healthcare, climate, and education. Um, and as we looked through direct investments, uh, we found that we had privileged access to Fazenda Futuro um, in, their, in their series, I think it was their series B round at the time. Now what Fazenda, is and what made it a very attractive investment from us for us was well first of all the LPs in this fund were Brazil already had an understanding and risk appetite for Brazil, um, but we were also seeing the trend of moving to plant-based food in the U.S. actually accelerating across Latin America both in um, Brazil, um, Argentina, Chile, um, you know among the you know mostly among the upper middle class. Um, and above, but also kind of some of changing values and behaviors of consumption. However, if you look at an Impossible Burger um, or a Beyond Burger, right, the relative purchasing cost is very expensive, right? It's not at price parity with need. So what's really attractive about Fazenda Futuro is they were in Brazil creating a domestic plant-based burger, probably tasting better than Beyond, but not as good as uh, impossible, 
However, you know, at maybe, you know, one fourth of the cost of a Beyond Burger, right? So domestically produced. And if you think about it, one of the main inputs in all these plant-based is soy. Brazil is one of the largest producers of soy. Instead of importing soy into the US to be produced into meat and re-exported, better to produce that in-house. Furthermore, we can think about all the sustainability challenges with soy, but having a producer um, based in Brazil focus on the Brazilian market and export actually gave them much more deeper clarity in finding sustainable soy um, farms, right? Soy that was not coming from deforest, deforested land, soy that um, was using best practices. And, you know, once you have these kind of lower inputs and pretty much a more kind of sustainable supply chain, not only can you sell domestically in Brazil, which has a huge growing uh, population of people that are looking to consume both for health reasons and for environmental reasons, plant-based protein, you can start exp exporting these burgers and other meat alternatives to Europe, right, where there's already privileged contracts that allow for agricultural export, which it still is when it's uncooked. Um, Europe doesn't allow for GMO, so it's an, also a non-GMO product. That's why it's not as tasty maybe as a, um, as I would say is impossible, but still kind of better than that beyond. So we found that to be a very unique value proposition and given you know, the strategic uh, backing of the LPs that fund, um, we were able to get access and um, you know, recommend and make an investment in Fizen, and it's gone very well. In fact, they are coming, they've come to the US as future farms. I love that. I love that. How do you go about building a strong fund of funds? So, you know, from uh, a idea of fund of funds, right? Um, you have to look at what is the value of a fund of funds, right? So let's look at the kind of the negatives of a fund of funds. So you're investing in other venture capital, private equity funds. Venture capital capital and private equity funds charge a management fee. If you are creating essentially a venture fund, fund, which has a fee structure that has costs to invest in other funds, you are kind of layering fees on fees. So you, you know, that's the original danger. So why would someone invest in fund? Well, it's usually to write a single check, but get access to a more diversified pool on uh, either venture investments or in our case, impact investments. So when you're thinking about building a venture fund, you gotta think about in this case, what are value you're trying to provide? So if it is a single ticket to access a diversified pool of capital, that's what we have to provide. So when we thought, when we've thought about construction in fund of funds, you think about investing across actually multiple themes. So in, you know, in the case of, uh, of the purpose fund, right, is investing across um, climate, health, and education. So already giving those LPs access to a broad range of diversified. We are also thinking about stage, right? So you get, we want to have maybe, you know, a third in venture, maybe a third in growth and third in private equity. Um, so once again, they're writing a single ticket and getting a diversified pool of private investments. Um, so in that, in that vein, right, as you are providing value to those LPs, you also want to make sure that your niche, right, that they're not already getting that access to their other private equity or venture exposure. And so, but from our perspective, since we were investing in Impact Fund, this was a way for LPs to access impact in a diversified sense. 
and learn more really about, about funds. It's a kind of a learning opportunity. And either they can continue investing in a fund of fund as it gets bigger, more diversified, or use that learning to go and make their own LP commitments. That's part of the catalytic um, part. But that's when we think about um, fund of funds. When, the other thing you have to realize, right, is you have a narrower window to invest. Funds have 10-year life cycles, right, already. So if you have, a, you have to have actually quite a few investments in a compressed amount of time and then probably raise subsequent vintages since you're not going to have fund one and fund two of random education fund um, in the same fund, right? You're going to invest in only one vintage at a time. Um, and then, right, you have on top of that their 10-year life cycle to prove um, that return capability. So it's, um, you know, fund of funds have gone out of fashion for a while. I think they're coming back. Um, especially with the proliferation of venture funds that are out there. Um, and so you have to think also that the value of a fund of funds is maybe getting access to a fund, like a very well-named brand fund that doesn't want to take small LP checks. That could be a, that could be a value prop. The other value prop is there's just so many small funds out there that an LP doesn't have make time to make individual investments. So bring a lot of those in house. So Flat World Partners works with multifamily offices, family offices, and other institutional investors. Where are these clients primarily based? And what's the profile of the ideal Flat World Partners client? So um, I would say the majority of our clients are now US-based. Um, we do have international clients um, in Brazil and Europe. Um, but I think um, for us, where we found kind of the best alignment, right, is has been in endowments or pools of capital that had maybe a front end, either a grant making arm or a business or kind of a family history that they really want to align their investment dollars with their philanthropic or purpose, you know, or business purpose on the other side. So let's say that you are a foundation that is focused on low income, giving grants low income individuals on your grant making side. But you have an endowment, which right is looking for commercial returns to return capital so you can make that. Well, it, a lot of times you really wanna see your dollars on the investment side should be generally more reflecting the values on your grant making side, right? You can even catalyze your impact creator. So we find those clients um, are very helpful and we worked with numerous of them to define that impact objective on the fund side. And now not, everything is investable. Not every idea is an investable idea. Some things are philanthropy. We don't help with that, but we can align to make sure that those values reflect both sides. So we find that's really kind of the ideal client. But then generally, right, we're seeing a lot of people trying to align, um, maybe not so specifically with certain mission, but in a general sense, wanting to have, um, a portfolio that reflects just general best in class ESG and impact. And we can also build that as well, which is even easier, right? Because then you can start investing across sectors, private equity and venture across healthcare, environment, affordable housing, real estate, et cetera. Flatworld is an impact investor. And you mentioned that it's only measurable impact. How does Flatworld measure? The impact of the initiatives and investments? So there's two things there. Um, one is we don't have to because we require the funds we invest to to do it. 
Um, but we definitely try to work with funds to figure out what is um, the best way for them to both track their impact, also track the negative externalities, and um, kind of really build their own system. So we expect that um, of the funds that we work with, and we analyze that as part of our due diligence. Um, and there's multiple ways to do it. I think in climate, right, um, tends to be a little easier, though not exclusively, right? We can have some sort of universal measure, which could be carbon, how much carbon is avoided or offset. Um, it's something that's very tangible, numerical, of course, not the only thing you can invest in, but that tends to be right a gold standard. On the social side, it becomes a little trickier. And I think we've actually struggled to think about it. And we've seen funds struggle to think about it in the US context. In emerging market context, um, sometimes the uh, social, social impact is a little clearer, right? If we can think about hospital beds added in general, right? And hospital beds added to kind of certain income threshold individuals, right? That's a measurable impact on health. In the US, it's a little more challenging since we have a much more, um, I would say, right, developed healthcare system. Uh, so we look for ways to think about how are more vulnerable populations being included. And we work with funds that develop that. On our own, in our, on our own direct investments, we look for kind of minimal viable, right? In the end, you can't ask startups to give you too much data, right? They are dealing with quite a lot of data requests. And, you know, we're usually a small investor in the capital. So we're looking for what KPIs attached to the business can also tell us um, that they're continuing with the mission that we underwrote them for. Um, and, you know, in, you know, an example is we are um, in the process right now of investing in an African health tech startup um, that is focused on digitizing medical records, right? It's a little challenging. How do you think the impact is really clear if you think about a thought experiment, but what are we really measuring? So, I mean, that's something that we are, you know, have to develop and we kind of set at the beginning and look for these you know these data points and then also look for data points that would tell us that there's drift emission and that we would have to re we would report back to our LPs. I think the key though is to use some process standards. We're signatories of the, um, the operating principles of impact measurement. We analyze funds based on that. We like to align deals and funds to the SDGs, which are not perfect, but give you an outset that if a fund is investing in those themes, that they are moving in the area of impact. And then we look at the impact management um, IMP, impact management project, um, as a framework of how to both measure and capture the impact. How has the recent market downturn affected Flat World Partners with investments and the relationships and, and projects that you guys are spearheading with your clients? On the direct investment side, we are noticed, I've noticed flat rounds. I've just, I'm investing right now in a deal that is essentially a flat round. Um, so it's actually not a too bad place to be if you are looking to invest. I think probably investors should not be too shy, but also should be cautious. We don't know how, um, we actually don't know if we're approaching a recession or not right now. Probably might be, but you know, to be honest, I don't think the, even the experts can really tell us at these points since economics has gotten quite convoluted. Um, you know, so that's one point. And, you know, for us as well, on the advisory side, our clients have the luxury of not investing when they don't want. So we did take a quite little bit of a pause 
um, you know, as we look at funds, but we're still going forward and recommending those that we think are strong. And quite honestly, funds that have capital now are probably in a good spot to invest. Um, it's also probably meant that we are very cautious when we look at track records of venture managers that we've invested in or investing in. Maybe some of those write-ups are not as strong as they look. So we're, you know, we've definitely taken a more conservative approach in the way that we are analyzing funds, but I don't think anything has fundamentally changed too much. Even before the market downturn, did Flatworld ever invest in first-time fund managers? Yes. Um, look, it's not what we are, it's not our mission to invest in first-time fund managers. However, it is our mission to invest in changing technologies. And we're seeing a lot of first-time fund managers come through that are providing unique um, value propositions. Um, now, just because they're first-time fund managers means they're not, doesn't mean they're first-time investors, right? You want to invest with people that really know what they're doing, and that's our perspective. Um, but we've found ways to look at alternative track records, whether it's what they were doing before startups they were working in or 360 views um, on the GPs. We also have a mandate to take another look at the diversity of the managers that we invest in. Um, we are not going to invest in a manager just because they're diverse, but we are investing in diversity as a theme on the impact on portfolio companies, so the founders of portfolio companies, but also the populations they serve. So if you want to serve diverse populations with, with healthcare, financial inclusion, you probably should have diverse um, CEOs and founding teams, which probably means you need to have diverse VCs to be able to find those, right? It's a whole, um, it's really a whole chain. It's kind of three really important themes. So we are finding really interesting managers who are first-time man first managers and are diverse, um, investing in diverse founders who invest for the benefit of diverse populations. Um, and you know, we are finding strong um, investors that way, but not at all just because they're diverse, but because that they have some alternative perspective um, that they've been able to build in their track records or experiences. One last follow-up, and then I'll stop chiding you on that, that answer you gave. What would be an example of a unique angle or perspective that would you know, make Flat World quite interested in investing in a fund? Yeah, so um, I'll give an example. Um, we recently recommended um, a fund that focuses on Medicare and Medicaid populations. Um, now, this was actually a fund three, but, you know, even fund threes are pretty, um, are pretty uh, junior. And we thought this was a really interesting perspective. You do not see a lot of people in health tech focusing on the bottom of the pyramid in healthcare, right? You, there's a little bit of trickle down speak that like if you invest in general healthcare, we're going to lower costs, increase outcomes, which benefits everybody but very specifically targeted at Medicare, Medicaid, and vulnerable populations. Um, we thought that was a unique, unique, um, unique perspective. You know, however, right, even at a fund three, fund one's not exited, and fund two is still in J-curve. There's not a lot of data that can really see. So we you know, looked at those deals, looked really deeply at the backgrounds through interviews and histories, get comfortable with the fund. Um, we also recently 
back to fund that had a unique perspective on financing. So instead of just looking at venture as something that needs 100x equity deals, you can think about a variety of companies that are starting that maybe are two or three X's or four X's, or even if they are, they're not going to, they're going to be $50 million companies and maybe their exit doesn't need to be a sale. So this this, this fund had a uh, unique way of financing basically through debt instruments that didn't take ownership away from these companies and really focused on minority owned businesses. You can think of a roll up of hair salons. You can think of like a variety of kind of new startups, some tech enabled, maybe some less, that you can actually give more debt-based financing to um, and preserve ownership and not necessarily expecting rocket ship growth, but still steady growth and a way to capitalize in. And that was a unique fund. That was a first-time fund as well. Actually, an actual first-time fund. So um, those, you know, those are kind of the examples of things that we've found unique in the market that were worth, you know, taking a risk despite maybe not a, you know, fun seven, fun five track record. Okay. Finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with uniquely Samia VC twist, what important truth about emerging markets at large or specifically at Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Very few people agree with me on. Um, I think that um, this is going to be very tech, not very technical, but very strange. Is emerging markets um, a growth story or a trade story? And you know, a lot of people will bet just for the growth, um, but I think that's really short-sighted. You have to look at the trade. I think valuations still incredibly matter. Um, you still have um, a very difficult exit environment. So really, not, it's not it's not just you know, I would say in private equity, EBITDA growth that you need to go for. It's really multiple, you know, multiple exchanges, buy low and sell high and having to create value. And I think a more active approach in emerging markets is important um, um, when you're thinking about yourself as a manager. If you have an exit opportunity, exit when you can. Um, still be on that growth story, but, you know, it may be a lot longer than the typical VC 10-year life cycle. So, as I say, you know, trade, you know, buy low, sell high. It sounds very silly, um, but, you know, we can believe in emerging markets growth, but at the same time, we have to be very practical on what value you bring to your LPs and exit when you can. What an answer. Derek, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Simia VC podcast today. Really great work that you're doing, Trev, and good luck with your endeavors in Latin America. There we go. I appreciate the comment. Thank you. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast, as well as check out our weekly newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la. Thank you.